Uh, you guys didn't overeat yesterday or overindulge in any way, did you? No. Most people are here tonight because they had a food hangover. <laughs> I'm teasing. I hope you guys had a wonderful day with family and friends. I was thinking as Bart was singing that song tonight, and he, when he ended the song, I was thinking, you know, I'm really glad sitting out there tonight that I know there's a God. I'm really glad I know there's a God. And tonight we're going to talk about Jesus' revolutionary revelation. I don't know how much you know about the life of Jesus Christ, but we've been doing a series the last few weeks entitled The Revolutionary Life. Today, uh, today illustrated to me everything about life that I don't want. Like the people getting trampled today at Walmart because they got up at five in the morning to buy some trinkets. I, don't take this personal. If you went out today to shop, that's your business. Don't take it personal. But you wouldn't get me into a mall on this day for all the money in the world. Then you gave me a million dollars. I mean, it just, it was just, as I watched on the news, as I, you know, you go on, you sign on your email, and then there's AOL updates, and all these people, just like lemmings, marching over the cliff, putting more in a card that they can't afford, and it just goes on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And that's part of why I long so greatly and desperately for the revolutionary life. I don't see anything in this life I want. I do not see anything in this way of life that I want. Jesus Christ offers us something else. He offers us the only real, true alternative to the boredom and the disillusionment and the brokenness and the dysfunction that is all around us every day. And in fact, that maybe many of you got exposed to yesterday when you were around some of those kinds of people. I don't know what kind of people make up your family or your friends. But just thinking about the things that we're going to talk about tonight just lifted my spirits so much as I think about this life, this thing that Jesus Christ came to reveal to the world. And tonight we're going to talk about this extraordinary revelation. For those of you who don't know what the word means, it means an astonishing disclosure, an enlightening or an astonishing disclosure. And in John chapter 3, one night after dark, one evening, a Jewish religious leader named Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus. Teacher, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. Now, I want to just pause on that for just a moment. Sometimes you may wonder, you know, didn't people think Jesus was a little loony? I just want you to know there was nothing loony about Jesus Christ. What, what you fail to understand is a lot of people today that like to make a mockery of Jesus. They like to make fun. They like to poke fun at Christians. But the fact of the matter is... That he lived in real space and time. And literally hundreds of thousands of people saw him, touched him, talked to him, and witnessed with their own eyes 
His amazing, miraculous power. And Nicodemus is a very well-respected leader among the Jewish people. And he comes to Jesus late at night because he doesn't want his other buddies to know he's going. But Nicodemus is a together man. He's very highly educated, very well regarded. And he says to Jesus, teacher, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. We all know he was he was exposing what was in their heart, but many of them didn't want to admit. But he was willing to admit, we all know God sent you to teach us how your miraculous signs are proof enough that God is with you. Jesus said, I assure you, Nicodemus, unless you are born again and born from above, you can never see the kingdom of God. Well, what do you mean? Explain Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus replied, the truth is, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven without being born first of a human and then of the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again, just as you can hear the wind, but cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can explain how people are born in the spirit. What do you mean? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. I assure you, I am telling you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe us. But if you don't even believe me when I tell you about things that happen here on earth, how can you possibly believe if I tell you what's going on in heaven? For only I, the son of man, have come to earth and I will return to heaven again. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so I, the son of man, must be lifted up on a pole so that everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So that everyone who believes in him will never perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, Nicodemus, but to save it. Now, this is an extraordinary conversation. Extraordinary. Jesus has just revealed something to this man. That is otherworldly, that is revolutionary, a whole new way to life. And not just life. But eternal life. You know, recently, I was flipping through the channels and they had all these botched plastic surgeries in Hollywood. I won't describe some of them. I don't want to embarrass anyone. And then tonight, before I came, I was watching the weather news and on comes this woman and says, for all you fellas out there who like to date women half your age, 40s never look so good. Ponds, extending facial cream. Right. Right. Yeah. And, do you know what those commercials say? Do you know what they're, what they're trying to get across? And you know what, if we're all honest, let's just be honest. Everybody wants immortality. Nobody wants getting old, saggy, and worn, and yellow teeth, and wrinkled face. Oh, a lot of people like to say, you know, brazenly, I'm not afraid to die. Right. And you're grabbing on for every bit of life that you can get. Because we know 
time is marching on and time is marching on. And one day, like Pat Morita, Mr. Miyagi today passed away. Every person, their life is slipping away every single day, every single day. And they want to live. They want to live. And Jesus Christ just reveals something extraordinary to Nicodemus. He says, Nicodemus, listen to me. There are two kinds of birth. There's the human birth. You have to be first born humanly to even be born again spiritually. That's what he means when he says you must be born of the water of the womb. And then you must be born of heaven in order to see the kingdom of God. He says, Nicodemus, and he uses a true story found in the history of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are well known, well known for their accurate historical collection of data. The world over. Look at how they made the concentration camps live over and over. Simon Wiesenthal Center. And you've got this Jewish thing over here. I mean, they latch on to it and they report and they get the facts. You know what Jesus just said? He said, you remember Moses? Moses was the most, one of the most revered figures in all of the Middle East, both among Arabs and Jews. And when Moses had led the children of Israel out of Egypt, they went out and they were in the desert and the children of Israel were rebelling and they were worshiping and other gods, and they were grumbling against God. And God sent poisonous snakes among them as chastisement. And they get bit, and they die. The people finally repented. They came to Moses and said, Lord, we repent. We realize we were wrong. And God says to Moses, Moses, take your staff and put a bronze snake around it, have the craftsman make it, and hold it up. And whoever looks at that snake on that pole, immediately they will live. If they've been bitten, they will live. All they have to do is look at it, they'll live. And Jesus says, you remember the pole, Nicodemus? Well, I'm the snake that gives life. And I'm going to be lifted up on a pole. And whoever, what was he talking about? What was he prophesying? What was he saying? We'll get to that in a moment. When he says the rulers and the leaders are going to kill me. And they're going to put me on a cross. And whoever, whoever believes in me will have present tense eternal life. And then he goes on to explain a little bit why. Really, it's a revolutionary concept in the ancient world. For God so loved the world. In other words, God loves the world so much, Nicodemus. Think about that for just a moment. I don't know about you, but if I'm honest, take God out of the equation of my life for a moment. I don't love the world. In fact, I can barely stand the world. Just being on the freeway with other sinners makes me want to puke. I've never been around so many incompetent drivers, Dave, than trying to drive from my daughter's house home. 
idiots who forget that it's the first snow and they're driving 80 miles an hour, spinning around in front of you. And because of their stupidity, the rest of us are slowed down and my time's wasted sitting on the freeway. But, but you think about, think about all, of the, all of the awful, wretched things that are going on in the world right now as we speak. Husband betraying wife, wife betraying husband. Kids out somewhere tonight, absolute rebellion to their parents. People who are being killed right now as we speak. People who are being raped right now as we speak. People who are being brutalized and treated like cattle as we speak. I mean, the list could just go on and on and on. And it's happening by the millions. Not just, you know, an isolated incident over here, an isolated incident over there. You get up, think about all the people around us that are just completely self-absorbed. Completely self-absorbed. And I've got to be honest. I, I can't see out there tonight, but, but I ask you, how many of you really love possums and would really like to have one for a pet? You ever seen a possum by the road? Just looking at one makes me kind of sick. To me, that's a human race. Possums and cockroaches. They're not very cute. They're not very pretty. And when you get right down to it, we're just despicable people. We're just so ugly on the inside. We're so mean. We're so self-centered. We're so just irritating. God loves that world. Now, I'm going to tell you, that's an incredible revelation. That's an astonishing revelation. God loves that world so much that he gave a son. That whoever believes in him, whoever looks up at him and believes in him, doesn't have to do anything for him, just believes in him, will never perish but have everlasting life. See, we've been bitten by a poisonous snake. It's called sin. It's called sin. And we're dying. The entire human race is dying. Every day. Every day. People just keep dying. And each one of us, we're getting closer and closer and closer. Now, you know, it's easy when you're young to think, oh, you know, I've just got forever. And if time goes on and you die of natural causes, the Bible says you might get 70, 80 years. But you never know. And it might be that moment for you, a week or two weeks. Bottom line is, you'll just beat the rest of us. Because every single person is dying. We're dying. Jesus Christ is saying, I came to change the equation. In John chapter 5, Jesus makes this statement. It's actually a very amazing statement. I assure you, those who listen to my message and believe in God who sent me have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death to life. Once again, Jesus makes this statement that if you believe in me, if you believe in me, if you embrace me, you have eternal life and you will never be condemned, held responsible, held accountable for your sins because he's held accountable. And we'll get to that in a moment. 
In John chapter 11, it's easy for us to forget just how revolutionary this message really is in this revelation of himself. Jesus had a very close friend, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They had a brother named Lazarus. Lazarus got really sick and he died. And so Jesus has been summoned, but Jesus waited. He deliberately waited. Remember now, remember now, this is a story. Like Abraham Lincoln was shot by John Wilkes Booth. And you know it's true. And George Washington was at Valley Forge. And you know it's true because it was historically, carefully passed on to us. There was a man named Lazarus. Thousands of people saw him and knew him. And he had a sister, two of them, Mary and Martha. And they summoned Jesus and Jesus waited. He waited long enough so Lazarus would die. And now he comes and all these people are mourning. They've surrounded the house and they're mourning and they're crying. And Martha comes out. She says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said, your brother will rise again, Martha. Yes, I, Martha said, I know that when everyone else rises on resurrection day. In other words, a long, long time from now, but I'd like my brother now. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die like everyone else, will live again. They are given eternal life for believing in me and they will never perish. Do you believe this, Martha? Yes, Lord, she said, I have always believed you are the Messiah, the sent one of God, the son of God, the one who's come into the world from God. Then he left her and returned to Mary. So Mary goes to him. And Jesus asks, where is he? And so they go get Lazarus. They take him to where Lazarus is. He's been in the ground for days. His body's begun to decompose. He stinks. And Jesus commands them to roll the stone away. And in the presence of thousands of people, Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And a dead man comes walking out of the tomb. He says, unwrap him. And then they take him home and they go have dinner. Jesus meant it when he said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. Buddha did not say this. Muhammad did not say this. They could not back it up. There is only one son of God, one savior of the world, one Messiah. And that's Jesus Christ. And he makes this extraordinary revelation to the human race. I want you to have eternal life. My Father loves you. We love you. I love the human race. Listen, that's mind-blowing to the ancient world. It's mind-blowing today. But, but the gods like Apollos and Zeus, they didn't love people. They were fickle, mean-spirited, vindictive. Mercy was not a quality of Rome. 
Here's a God who loves. Here is a God who reveals himself through a weak, frail human. He does not come as a conquering king and as a conquering warrior. He comes as the humble servant of man. And he's taken advantage of and he's lied about and he's betrayed and eventually, as you know, beaten and killed. And they played right into his hands. Because he was, as John the Baptist said, the sacrificial lamb of God. So the first thing to understand is that God loves us and wants to give us eternal life. The second revelation that Jesus gave of himself is found in John chapter 6. And it's something very similar. But Jesus takes another story, a true event in Jewish history. And he explains how he is the fulfillment of of it. This one relates to food in John chapter 6 in verse 30. The Jews he was speaking to replied, you must show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What will you do for us? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. As the scripture says, Moses gave them the bread from heaven. Deep. Jesus said, I assure you, Moses didn't give them bread from heaven. My father Gave them the bread. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of heaven is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us this bread every day of our life. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. No one who comes to me will ever be hungry again. Those who believe in me will never thirst again. And then he goes on to say, I assure you, anyone who believes in me already has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate man in the wilderness, but they all died. However, the bread from heaven gives eternal life to everyone who eats it. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh offered so the world may live. Again, revolutionary revelation. I am the food that you really hunger for. Deep inside of every man and woman, myself included, there was this longing for satisfaction. This deep longing for soul satisfaction, for meaning, for significance. And what you see going on in the world around us and what many of you may still be doing in your life is you're looking for this satisfaction, this way to satisfy that longing. And you know, people try a lot of things. They think that if I have enough sex, I'll satisfy this longing. If I have enough love, I'll satisfy the longing. If I have enough food, I'll satisfy the longing. If I have enough alcohol, I'll satisfy the longing. If I have enough possessions, I'll satisfy the longing. If I have enough achievements, I'll satisfy the longing. If I get to do in life what I really want, I'll satisfy the longing. But it's like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, it's like chasing the wind. It's all vanity. And if you're honest, you know it is. And the more you get, the more you want. And the more you get, when you thought, well, I got more, so I should be more satisfied, leaves you wanting more. But not Christ. Not Christ. 
When you come to Christ, I'm not saying you don't want to know him more. I'm saying that when a person comes to Christ, all of a sudden the soul stops searching. When you come to the real Christ, and when you've embraced the true and living one, all of a sudden, I remember when this happened for me at 19, and that was 30 years ago. And for those 30 years, that, that, that hunger has been quenched. I'm not saying I haven't been tempted by things. I'm saying that I've known deep in my heart, I'm satisfied. I found the truth. I found God. And God found me. And now I understand how my life all fits in and fits together and where I'm going. And I know I'm going to live forever. And there is a peace. I shared with you last, last week the revolutionary requirements of Jesus Christ to follow him, to be close to him. This is something a little different, but I want to explain how they fit together. To come to Christ, all one does is look at the cross and see the Son of God hanging on that cross and embrace Him. And you have Him. You have Him. As I surrender to Him, and that's what it costs to stay close to Him, not to go to heaven. Heaven is free. Eternal life is free. But as we stay close to Him, as we surrender our own will to him and we set aside our own self-centered desires it's there that you experience the abundant fulfilled satisfied life that Christ promised he's the bread of life and he satisfies our hunger and our thirst for him and then thirdly, Jesus reveals to us in Mark chapter 8, another very interesting thing, that he is going to die for the sins of the world and raise from the dead. And this was really shocking to the disciples because, well, they didn't, they didn't anticipate that this was going to happen. Then Jesus began to tell them that he, the Son of Man, would suffer many terrible things and be rejected by the leaders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, and three days later he would raise again. And, they, and he talked openly with his disciples. Peter took him aside and told him he shouldn't say things like that. You imagine that. Jesus, God, he's telling you this story. And guys, and I want you to know it's going to get really tough. It's going to get really bad. Many terrible things are going to happen to me. They're, they're going to sneak up on me in the Garden of Gethsemane and they're going to ban me and drag me from the garden and they're going to strip off all my clothes and they're going to beat me and put a crown of thorns on my head and they're going to give me a trial, but it'll be a mock trial. And then they're going to whip me mercilessly like you saw in the Passion. And then they're going to make me carry my own cross and they're going to nail me to it. Now, Imagine this story, all right? The disciples are going around with Jesus, and guys like Nicodemus are currently walking up, wanting to talk. Wow, Jesus is healing this blind person, this lame person. Lazarus is raising from the dead. This is good times. 
And Jesus spoils the party. He's like, yeah, well, guys, by the way, about a year and a half from now, it's going to get really bad. And they can't believe what they're hearing. Peter's so stunned, he takes Jesus aside and says, Lord, what, don't say stuff like that. That's really discouraging. This is one of the only times Jesus rebukes Peter. He loved Peter. But he said, Peter, get behind me, Satan. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's point of view. See, there are only two points of view in the world. Man's and God's. And Peter, he was seeing things from a human perspective. Like, hey, Jesus, look, we didn't follow a loser here. Okay, we're we're following a dead man. We didn't risk everything. You know, you're supposed to be the conquering king, the Messiah. That's why we're following you. Jesus, he lays out a whole different plan. He reveals this revolutionary deal. And this revolutionary deal is, look, your king is going to die. But I'm going to raise from the dead. And I'm going to prove to you that death is no longer an enemy. That death is conquered and I conquer it. And so he did. And lastly, Jesus makes another revolutionary revelation about himself. This is among the most controversial for Christians to repeat. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus told his followers and all who were listening, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. This one gets you a lot of trouble today. In the age of multiculturalism and multi-gods and every religion is equal, Jesus says quite clearly, they are not all equal at all. Jesus says, I am the way. I, me. And I am the truth. There is absolute truth, and Christ brought it to us. Christ embodies it. Christ is it. And he says, I am the way. The way where? To heaven. The way to who? God. And you can't get to God unless you come through me. Now, this, this is extraordinary stuff, and it has tremendous relevance to you and I. Why? Because people are still dying today. His message is as revolutionary today as it was when he shared it thousands of years ago. We need that bread. We need that life. We need that forgiveness. We need that Savior. And this is the message, by the way, this is the message that all of the apostles, except one, were martyred for. They gave their life for. In fact, last week when I was sharing with you about the revolutionary requirements for following Jesus Christ, one of them states this. Unless you take up your cross daily and deny yourself and, and lay down your life for the good news, you cannot be my disciple. This was the good news. 
You see, this is what became the good news. This incredible revelation that Jesus Christ gave to the people of that day and to us. I'm eternal life. You embrace me and you're going to live forever. Listen, I tell you with absolute confidence in my heart. If you were to ask me, Mark, can we dangle you over the fire? Uh, No, I'm not excited about being dangled over a fire. And I don't want to drown. And just like anybody else, I would just like to go to bed one night and wake up in heaven. In other words, I'm not looking forward to a painful death. But I'm not afraid of death. I'm not afraid of death. I like what Billy Graham says. He says, if you hear that I've died, don't worry. I just changed addresses. For the Christian, for the person who's been born again, for the person who's embraced Christ, there is no fear of judgment. There is no fear of death because you have been given eternal life. And you have it right now. The moment you come to Christ, you have it right now. And you can begin experiencing the satisfaction and the the meaning and that soul satisfaction that Christ comes to give. You know, this is one of the reasons why so many people, and I want to talk to those of you tonight for a moment that know Christ here. Many of you do know Christ. Some of you do not. One of the reasons so many people have struggled with addictions after they come to Christ is because they're looking for happiness somewhere else besides him. And they haven't quite gotten it yet. They don't quite understand it yet. You, can't, you haven't quite counted the cost, not of salvation, but of discipleship and gone after God. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that there still will be stumbling and there still will be struggles. But one of the ways you're going to empower yourself against the struggle and the pull of the flesh is to go after Christ with a reckless abandon. He is satisfaction. He is joy. He is joy. You know, even David knew this. And the words to Bart's song tonight, I think I heard that song by Martha Wainwright recently, but I'm not positive. But it, it alludes a little bit to David. I don't know if you knew that. The woman bathing. David saw, and then his kingdom, well, it wasn't technically ruined, but it, there was great mortal damage that was done because of David's foolishness. And yet, you know what God says? David says he was a man after my own heart. Now, the beautiful thing about this story, and was real, David was a real king, is that it shows the incredible mercy of God, even in spite of our own shortcomings. But David knew in his heart, even though he stumbled, That real life was only found with Christ. And he says in the Psalms that in your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. David says in the Psalms, your love is better to me than life. David says in the Psalms, as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants for you, O God. David primarily was a man who walked with God. He made mistakes. He made some really big blunders. And he made those kind of blunders that kind of follow you, you know. 
But he also, he also passionately went after God. Passionately went after God. The disciples were very much the same. The apostles very much the same, although in many respects they were much stronger than David. Much stronger than David. Paul was much stronger and incredibly passionate about God. He had discovered something. You see, all these people, they discovered something. When Christ revealed himself, when Christ revealed this revelation about who he was, their lives changed. And I want you to bow your heads with me tonight. And we're going to close. And next week we're going to keep doing this series because there's a lot more to say about the revolutionary life. But tonight, there are some of you here, you may never ever heard before that Christ could give you eternal life. And, and you, you know, you really have a choice to make. God's not going to force it on you. You have a choice to make. Whether or not you're going to listen to all the crazy nutcases out there whose lives prove over and over the message of God. The world around us, all the scoffing, their lives prove the, the foolishness of man, just as God said. Their lives prove that sin destroys people's lives. Or you can decide to believe the message of Jesus Christ. You can decide to embrace Christ. You can decide to go, you know what? I'm tired of dying. I want to get on with living. And you can look at the Son of God on that cross and you can look and you can believe. He died for me. God loved me and God sent him to the world for me. And if tonight you will personalize that, okay, in your heart. The Bible says it's with the heart that man believes, with the mouth we confess. In other words, my heart Eventually comes out of my mouth. If I, if I really believed in Christ in my heart, that's where you have to believe. And eventually, I talk about him. I tell somebody. You may not get up on a stage like me and preach about him like I do. But it comes out because that's what's really in your heart. But that's where the transaction takes place. That's where the faith goes on. That's where the belief happens. That's where the hunger is. It's in your heart. And tonight, with your heads bowed, as I pray, I want you to know God can hear you talking to him as though you're the only one here tonight speaking to him. Not like you just to silently tell him, Lord, I believe. I believe that you're God and you're God's son. And I believe that you came into the world for me. You know, the beautiful thing about the Lord is that you never had anyone walk up to Jesus and go, Now, Jesus, now just a minute. When you said you'd forgive my sins, now, did you mean this sin? Because Jesus was so crystal clear that every person grasped that they were going to believe in him. He meant every sin. It does not matter what you've done. Up to this very moment, right now, and then for the rest of your life, Christ dies for all of them. A whole life's worth of sin in you. All of it. All of it. When Jesus was dying, there was a man next to him making fun of him. Making fun of him. Belittling him. Scoffing at him. And during the few hours they're hanging on the cross together, the man finally comes to his senses. And he says, Jesus, remember me when you come to your kingdom. 
This man who'd been making fun of him for a couple hours. And Jesus looked at him, turning his bloody face at today. Today you'll be with me in heaven. It didn't get much worse than that. Hanging on a cross next to the Son of God, making fun of him. God forgives. And you can have that tonight. And I want to encourage you to invite Christ into your life. Heavenly Father, I just thank you tonight for your incredible gift. For the incredible, incredible peace that you bring. But not just the peace, the life, Lord. The life. We're not alive without you. Humanly, we're alive. Blood is in our veins. Air is in our lungs. We move. We walk. We talk. We exist. We take up space. But we're not alive. We're dead. And we're in the process of dying. But you offer life eternal. You offer a spiritual life. And you cause us to live, really live. I just ask you, Lord, tonight, there won't be one person who walk away this evening who doesn't know you, who would not come to know you tonight. None of us, Lord, here, myself included, we, we don't know how much of this life we have left. But we know in this moment, right now, God is speaking of my heart. And I have this chance, this opportunity, just like Nicodemus that night had the opportunity to say, that Jesus, I believe. And I believe, like Martha said, I believe you are the Son of God, the Messiah sent to us from God. I pray, Lord, that these men and women will know you tonight. Thank you for this eternal life. Thank you for this extraordinary gift in your Son, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to suffer so much to get us. In Jesus' name.